We're in a series entitled Victory, and we're talking about how the good news about Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, means that we're victorious. Amen? It means that we're victors. It means that we're more than conquerors. It means that Jesus has given us victory, and as such, in response to that, as people who believe that, we are committed to hope. That's our, our word this year is committed, that we are committed, and, and this month we're talking about hope, that we are a people, because of the victory we have in Jesus, we are a people who are committed to hope. But that's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to be hope-filled sometimes. It's hard to be hopeful sometimes. When you turn on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or talk radio, pick your poison, you know, whatever it is, you, you turn it on and, and sometimes it, it sucks your hope away, doesn't it? We're talking about this month how our hope, our joy, our confident expectation, our belief that we are victors doesn't come from our situation but comes from the promises that God has given us. And that's why we know we're victors. That's why we know that we're more than conquerors. That's why we have hope in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our situation. We may look at the glass and we say, well, there's no way that's half full. It's more than half empty. But I know that someday it'll be overflowing. And that's the confidence that we have. You know, I had a, a friend, I have a friend, her name is Nancy, and Nancy did something kind of strange. I, I never really understood it at the time. Uh, Nancy is a school teacher, and on Fridays, after school let out, if there was an upcoming time change, you know, daylight savings time would begin or end, but that doesn't come till Sunday. But as soon as school let out on Friday, the weekend of a time change, she would go ahead and adjust her clock on Friday afternoon so that she was already acclimated by the time Sunday rolled around. But that also meant that she spent the rest of the day Friday and all day Saturday out of sync with the world around her, right? She was either an hour ahead or an hour behind, but she was out of sync with the world around her. And I thought, that's just strange, but... The more I got to thinking about that this week, I thought, that, that's a perfect analogy for the Christian life, isn't it? Because Jesus is calling us to live for that day instead of this day. You see, Nancy was already living in that day, even though she was still living in this day. She was living this day in anticipation of that day. And so she was willing to deal with the frustrations and the struggles of being out of sync in this day because she knew for a fact that that day was coming. So she was willing to go ahead and make the changes and live as if the change had already occurred, even though she was out of sync with the world around her because she knew that day was coming. And it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it, if we're honest? To live as Christians, to live as followers of Jesus, it feels like we're kind of out of sync with the world around us, doesn't it? When, when you take seriously the things that Jesus has told us to do and to believe and how he's told us to live, it, it kind of feels like we're out of sync. It feels like, well, that just doesn't work in the real world, Jesus. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Be faithful to your spouse. Don't be greedy. Don't covet. Don't hate. 
Don't be rude. Don't be self-seeking. And, and you, you look at those things and you say, well, that's just not how the world works. That, that's just not how people live. If I, if I live that way, I would be out of sync with the world around me. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. You are being called to live in anticipation of that day while you're still living in this day. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to live this day in anticipation of that day because the world around us doesn't work that way. And people say, well, well, you have to live like this to kind of get ahead. you got to live like this to make ends meet. Living with a little bit of greed and a little bit of selfishness and looking out for number one. That's financially lucrative, isn't it? And Jesus calls us to abandon that way of living. And when we do, it can become frustrating, can't it? There's a struggle. There's a mismatch. It's like we're singing one song and the world around us is singing another. Or we may be singing the same song, but they're just off just a little bit. And it can be really tempting to try to ease that tension by slipping back in sync with the world around us. And just to decide, it's just too hard. I can't live in anticipation of that day because the world around me just doesn't work that way. How? That's the question this morning. How do we live in sync with the Spirit? How do we live in anticipation of that day while we're still living in this day and the world around us feels out of sync and it's frustrating and it's hard and we struggle and we get a little disappointed sometimes with the way that things go. So that's where we're going to be. Romans chapter 8. That's what the question that I think Paul is going to answer for us. So Romans, and again, when I, when I preach from a text, what I really hope, here's what I always hope. Here's the secret, okay? The secret is, I hope you go home, and I hope it whets your appetite to read the whole book, okay? Because it's just like giving you a preview, okay? It's like watching the preview of a movie and never watching the whole thing. you got to go and read the whole book. Because this is just a taste. But, but Romans chapter 8 is such a beautiful chapter. And, and in context, he's talking about how Gentiles and Jews have all failed to bring glory to God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Both those without the law, the Gentiles, and those with the law. And, and in fact, he'll go on to say that even the people that had the law, even the people that were trying really hard to do what was right and good, Paul was one of those, wasn't he? And he would say that when he was trying to live according to the law, that there were things that were good and he wanted to do them and he tried really hard to do the good things that he wanted to do and yet he failed. And the bad things that he said, I don't want to do that, I shouldn't do that, and he did the very things that he didn't want to do. And he explains that by saying it's because of the weakness of our flesh. And we all understand that struggle, don't we? We all understand that in our own power and by our own strength, when we try to do the good things that we want to do and not do the sinful things that we know we shouldn't do, we've all failed. We've all fallen. We've all been corrupted. And we're in bondage and enslaved to that. But that's the good news, isn't it? The good news is we've been delivered from that bondage. Romans chapter 6, we've come out from under that reign and rule and dominion of sin and death and come into the reign and the rule of righteousness and grace and life. And so Paul goes on to explain in Romans chapter 8 that by the power of the Spirit of God, you can begin to live 
apart from the flesh. Even though you're still in the flesh, you can begin to live as someone who is not ruled by the flesh. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will, what does it say? Die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Even those of you who've been delivered, if you go on living in sync with the world, if you go on living as if you're still a slave to sin, if you go on allowing the weakness of your flesh to dictate your behavior, then you will, what? Die. What does that look like? What does it look like to still live according to the pattern of the world? What does it look like to still live according to the flesh? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says it's evident, right? He says that the works of the flesh are evident. Things like this, sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger, and rivalries, and dissensions, and divisions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and things like this. This is what it looks like to live like the world lives. This is what it looks like to live in sync with the world. And Paul says, if you go on living like that, if you go on continuing to be a slave of sin, then you will die. And some of you still feel like you're a slave, don't you? Some of you. It's, it's really easy, isn't it, for us to come. We've all done it. Get all dressed up, look real nice, be good religious people, and come to church and hope nobody knows about our secret and hope nobody knows the other life that we're living. And we're filled with guilt and we're filled with shame and we wish we weren't doing it and we wish we weren't involved in it and we wish it wasn't true about us, but we feel like we're slaves and we feel like there's no way out and we feel like we're stuck in that lifestyle and we don't even know how to break free. And that's what the good news is all about is that you don't have to continue in bondage to sin. Amen? You can be delivered and set free. But you can keep on living that way if you choose to. But don't choose to. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, but, here's the good news. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? Live. You will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, now listen, you can't do it by yourself. There's not a self-help book. You can't be strong enough or self-controlled enough to work your way out of it or will your way out of it. And some of us try, don't we? If I could just, if I could just kind of break through, if I could just make around that corner, if I could just get over this hill, if I could just listen to the right, I almost said tapes, not tapes. You know, if I could listen to the right self-help stuff, you know, pop psychology, whatever it is. And we think maybe by our own strength and power, we can overcome these things. But we just swap them, don't we? We swap sexual sin for pride. We swap drunkenness for greed. And we put on sins that look better or more presentable. But by our own strength, we continue in this way, in sync with the world. But Paul says, you've been given the gift of the Spirit of God who lives within you. And by the power of the Spirit of God, you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
And if you do, if you're willing to put to death these deeds of the body, you will, what does it say, church? You will live. You will live. That's our hope. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does that look like, to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, Paul says again, Galatians 5, 22-23, what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. Love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. This is the, the fruit, the evidence of a life that is led by the Spirit of God. By the power of the Spirit of God, putting to death the deeds of the body, the life of a person who will live. For if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You're not a slave anymore. You're a child of God and God's spirit within you cries out that God is your father. In fact, he'll go on in verse 16 to say the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He testifies with us. Yeah. You know that West guy? He's pretty messed up. I know. Yeah. He's pretty messed up and he's done some pretty messed up things and he's said some pretty messed up things, and he's thought some pretty messed up things. But believe it or not, but believe it or not, by the, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, he's part of the family. The Spirit testifies we've been adopted. The Spirit testifies we really are a part of God's family, and he within our hearts is crying out, Abba, Father, you really are. You really are my Father. I really am a part of your family. Because sometimes it gets hard to believe, sometimes, doesn't it? And you wonder whether or not you really are a part of the family. And that's what Romans is all about, that if you put your faith in Jesus and you allow him to deliver you out of that kingdom of sin and death, that you really are, by faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, you really are a part of the family of God. Verse 17, and if children, and this is a good word, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. I mean, that's good, isn't it? I mean, somebody calls you up and said, hey, you've got an inheritance coming. You, you didn't know, and they're from a law firm, you know, one of those 12 names, there are 12 last names all strung together, you know, and, and they call you and they say, they say, you're an heir. You have an inheritance coming to you. It's exciting, isn't it? And God says, the Spirit says, the Son says, the Gospel says that if you're part of the family, if you really are God's children, then you're heirs. Then you have an inheritance coming to you. You're fellow heirs with Jesus. You get what Jesus is due. By God's grace, you're part of the family and you have an inheritance coming to you and you're co-heirs with the king, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, you have to live out of sync with the world. You have to suffer with Jesus. You have to live this day in anticipation of that day. Yes, you will be glorified with him, provided, provided you suffer with him. Provided you're willing to live this life in anticipation of that life. Provided you're willing to suffer now, 
that you may be glorified later. But our temptation is always going to be to get back in sync with the world, right? To reset our watches. And maybe we'll go to school or work on Monday morning and we kind of reset our moral clock back to the world's standards. And we come to church on Wednesday night, we set it back real quick. And then we go back to work on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday and we set it back. Paul says, if if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. There's, there's something coming. There's promises that have been made and promises that will not be broken. Promises that will come to fruition. Inheritance that will be doled out. And you can be a part of it. And you can live forever. And you can have what that day holds. But, but you have to live this day with Jesus. And that means you suffer with him. You, 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 you set your life to his clock. You live in sync with him and thereby out of sync with the rest of the world. Verse 18, for I consider, and this is good, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, God's glory is going to be revealed. And we're going to see it. And on that day, I'm convinced, on the resurrection day, the first moment we see God in all of his glory, we're going to say it was worth it. It was worth it. Every every minute of being out of sync with the world, every minute of not giving in to lust and greed and covetousness and hatred and bitterness and all the things and the ways that the world works, and not living that way, it was worth it. Paul says, in fact, it's not even worth comparing. If you put all the glory of God that will be revealed to us on one side of the scale and and the little bit of suffering and inconvenience of, of living this life with all of its struggles and heartaches, that it really wouldn't even begin to compare. It's worth it, church. It's worth it. Isn't that good to know? Isn't that why Nancy went ahead and set her clock forward? She believed that going ahead and getting acclimated to the new time was worth it or else she wouldn't do it. And the world says it's worth it to live in sync with us. You listen to us. You follow your pocketbook. You follow your heart. You follow your senses. You do things our way and it'll be worth it. It'll pay off. It'll feel good. You'll like yourself. You'll enjoy yourself. And the Lord says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the power of the Spirit of God who dwells within you, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's not saying we're going to be perfect. But we're already beginning to live this day in light of that day, right? I mean, it's like John says. John says, I'm writing these things to you, dear children, so that you don't sin. Of course, if any of you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But you, you've got to set your mind and your heart and your body and your life, your moral clock, ahead to that day and stop living according to this day. And the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, look at verse 19. And here's where I'm going to lose some of y'all. I hope not. Stay with me, okay? But here's where I, my, my thinking 
my eschatology. That's the big fancy word you don't care. But anyway, it means the study and the thinking of last times and what's going to be. My, my thinking has changed just a little bit over the years. Because I've got to be, I got to be honest with what it's saying and, and listen to what Paul says. He says, the creation waits eager, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now there's a couple different schools of thought on what he means by the creation, but I think we'll see as we go through the context that he's talking about the creation, the world around us, that even the creation itself, Waits, just like you wait. That the creation, in a sense, knows what's coming, just like you know what's coming. The creation waits for the same thing you wait for, for the revealing of the sons of God. And the creation waits with eager longing. The creation longs for what is to come because even the creation itself knows something's off. Something's broken. Something should be, but isn't quite. This week I was thinking about this and I, I was thinking it's kind of like the whole creation is singing a song that's just slightly off key. Right? And you look at the world and you say it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's awesome, but it's also terrifying and deadly. And it's full of all kinds of bad things, but it's also full of so many good things. And Paul explains it this way by saying, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same word futility is what Solomon uses when he talks about vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. He says that the creation was subjected to futility. It's like... Solomon is asking about everything. He says, what's the point? What's the point? You live and you're really smart and then you die. You live and you're really rich and then you die. You live and you're a fool and you die. You live and you're really poor and you die. What's the point? A tree is grown just to eventually wither and die. A flower blooms just to eventually wither. And I, the creation was subjected to futility, but not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now listen to this next phrase. In hope, in hope, in confident expectation, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Now you say, well, I thought like the whole world was all going to disappear and be annihilated and go away, you know. Well, 2 Peter 3 says the world will be destroyed. But but it says that it'll be destroyed like the world before it. Did you know there was a world before this one? That's what Peter says. He says that there was a world before this world, and it was destroyed by the flood. And that this current world will be destroyed. And in its place, Peter says that we will have a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And I think Paul is talking about the same thing here. He says that all of it was subjected to futility in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption, its slavery to decay. And isn't that the way it is? Everything decays. Everything breaks down. I was born, and as soon as I was born, I started the process of growing old and eventually dying. That the whole creation is in bondage to decay. 
But Paul says, here's our hope, though. Our hope is that with the revelation of the glory of God, this bondage will be broken, that we will and the creation will itself be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That's a good metaphor. Now, one of, one of the ladies in first service said, well, you know, you're talking about childbirth. Speak for yourself, you know. But um, so, so maybe, you know, got to be careful with this one. But, but it, it's worth it, isn't it? I mean, that's the point of all of this. It's worth it. I mean, when a mother's giving birth, she might think in the minute, in the moment, as she's giving birth, is this worth it? Is this pain and this suffering, is this pain, is it worth it? But as, as soon as she holds that baby in her arms, she says, yes, of course it was worth it. The glory that she holds in her arms far surpasses the pain that she suffered. And Paul says, that's not only true for us, it's true for the whole creation, that all of creation is like in the process of giving birth, and it hurts, and we feel out of sync, and we wonder, is it worth it? And it will be worth it. When Jesus reveals himself, it will be worth it. Verse 23, I know I'm running out of time. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And you say, wait, Paul, you said we were already adopted. What are we waiting for adoption? He says, the redemption of our bodies. That even these bodies that are subject to decay will one day be redeemed. That's good news, isn't it? That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says, that on the day of resurrection, our bodies will be raised immortal, imperishable, no more subject to the slavery of corruption and decay. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You say, I don't know who has sometimes. I don't have a whole lot of patience. Now, I don't think it's always talking about our attitude. Patience is about endurance, steadfastness. It's about saying, I know what's coming and it's so worth it that I'm going to stay the course. It's so worth it, I'm going to press on. It's so worth it, I'm going to be willing to suffer and be out of sync with the world around me because I know what's coming. That's patience. And it's the Spirit of God who gives us patience. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that good? Because aren't we wondering, how how can I endure? How can I be patient? And you see, he says, the creation is groaning, and you're groaning, And the Spirit is groaning, and we groan together because we know it's coming. We know it hurts now, and we know we're uncomfortable now, and we know we're suffering now, but we know what's coming, and that it'll be worth it. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we kind of pull that out of context and we kind of treat it like every circumstance will kind of work out on its own or God will work out every little situation in the temporary short term. Paul's talking about long term here. He's talking about big picture here. And big picture is we know 
that for those of us who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose, God will take care of everything. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those of us who are in Jesus are God's chosen people. As Matt said, a people for his own possession. And that was always God's plan is that he would have this multinational nation, this multiracial race, this multifamily family. This was God's plan. And for these people to live out of sync with the world and in step with the Spirit. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us what, church? All things, all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am sure, this is my hope, this is my confidence, this is what I know, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our hope. Why? Why are we surprised? When it's hard to live in this world, why are we surprised that we groan? Why are we surprised when the world does what the world does? Rather, we have to be a people committed to hope, not a people committed to optimism, not a people that think every situation is somehow in the next day or two going to work out all cherry, but people who know that in the long term, we will be given all things. We know that the meek will inherit the earth. We know that we will live in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. We know that we, like Christ, are heirs of all things. We know who our Father is and who will bring any charge against God's elect. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is what the Spirit convinces us of. And this is why the Spirit helps us to live this day in anticipation of that day. You can't do it by yourself. You cannot live by your own strength of your flesh, cannot live this day in anticipation of that day. But by the power of the Spirit of God, you can put to death the deeds of the body and live by the Spirit. The Spirit can equip you and empower you as you walk with Jesus, and as you submit to His will, and you join arms with His family, and you sing his praises, you walk with him, the Spirit helps us to live this day in anticipation of that day. But maybe somebody here this morning, maybe you, are not prepared for that day. 
Whether because you haven't been delivered out of darkness and into light. You haven't been buried with Jesus in baptism. Or maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've recalibrated your life to the ways of the world. We've all done that a time or two, haven't we? Or maybe 10 or 12 or 20 or 30. And we need a reminder to recommit to living by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. We need a reminder. We need to recommit our lives to allowing the Spirit to help us to live this day in anticipation of that day. So if we can help you, come forward now as we stand and sing.